let's, I want to hear just some of your things. What are some of the things that you, you love about Los Alamos? Kind of all skate, just shout it out. What, what do you got? Mountains, trails. What's that? Bright sun. Yes, lots of sun. Absolutely. Anything? <laughs> Short commute to work. Absolutely. Vintage houses. That's a nice way to put it. That's a nice way to put it. Yeah, I like that. It's, it's not old and condemned. It's vintage. Vintage. Perfect. Perfect. Well, we love Los Alamos. Sometimes you have to go and look for it, right? Um, there, there are, I'm going to give you just Mike Brake's top seven places to avoid if you want to stay in love with Los Alamos. All right. I kind of just uh, came up with some of these. So uh, number seven, if you want to stay in love with Los Alamos, avoid these places. Seventh, set number seven, the streets at 7.30 a.m., all right? During the school year, you got people trying to get to work. you got school that's going on. you got potholes like crazy, suicidal deer. In the, uh, summer, in the summer months, you, you stop and you kind of look over, and there's that jogger who has, like, the flappy, windy, short thing. And I'm like, come on, what is going on? With the, someone's got to end those shorts, but they do it anyway. Uh, six, number six, the streets in Los Alamos at 7.30 p.m. Because there's nothing. There's absolutely uh, virtually n- nothing going on in the streets. It's dark, and people are in bed by 7.30 uh, on a weekdays. Uh, number five, the McDonald's drive through at lunch. All right, I, who's with me? Like, we don't know. We still have not figured out. It's been several years now, but this double lane and the etiquette and how do we go in and who goes forward and first. And it's, it, you can get, get the rage going on trying to get some McDonald's. Uh, number four, this one's for teachers only, uh, parent-teacher conferences. All right, um, you know, Johnny, my, you know, he's not getting, he's, he's, he's slipped before, below a 4.5 GPA, which I don't even know that's possible to get a, above a four, you know, and we're freaking out. And it's like, hey, ma'am, sir, Johnny's only in the first grade. I think, I think we're going to be okay. Where's my teachers in the room? Any of my teachers in the room? I love you guys. I grew up in, uh, my parents were teachers, uh, educators for 30 plus years. And so I grew up in a, in a teacher's home. I love and appreciate you guys uh, very, very much. Uh, the MVD, number three, the MVD, all right? Um, I've never heard people swear so much and cuss so much as when they walk in the door of the MVD with the lines and then you bring in all the paperwork and then you realize you're missing the one little thing and then you got to go back and I don't know. It's, it's uh, enough to make a pastor cuss too sometimes. Uh, but uh, Smith's at 5 p.m. It is absolute insanity. It's Smith's trying to get a parking spot and then the lines, and then you got the self-checkout, and then it's not working, and all, I mean, you want to go crazy, go to Smith's at 5 o'clock when everybody else in town is there as well. And then number one, this is for my friends in White Rock, uh, the number one place to avoid if you want to stay in love, Los Al- in love Los Alamos is the friends in White Rock who invite you to come over for dinner, and you live in Los Alamos. White Rock friends, I love you guys, but I we, we, I don't like to go down to White Rock so much. You guys are supposed to come up to us. That's kind of the unwritten rule. I'm joking. I'm joking. White Rock friends. Who's from White Rock? Who is from White Rock? All right. I love you guys. I absolutely love you guys. You guys come every week and, and, and every day pretty much. And I love you guys. I just like to throw a little shade at my White Rock friends. All right. But sometimes you do. You know this. You got to look for it. God's out there moving. 
and he loves Los Alamos. We love Los Alamos, and uh, he's moving. He's moving, and I want to continue the series called Open House. Open House, and kind of the idea is um, this idea of not living in, in fear and hiding, and I know for each of us, like, I have that place, if you were to come over to my house, I'm like, hey, go anywhere, but not this closet. You know, we kind of just shoved everything in there or the junk drawer, or you kind of have that room. It's like, oh, well, please don't look at the mess or, you know, different areas in our house where we might not want people to see. But when it comes even to our lives, there are areas, there's that closet, there's uh, that room that's kind of messy and has questions about God and faith, or there's, there's areas that we just don't want to, to touch. In this series, I'm just going to tell you, it's going to be challenging. I kind of have this, I don't know, twisted part as a pastor. I'm like, let's go after that. <laughs> let's find the one thing that you're trying to keep hidden, that closet, that thing in the back that you don't want people to go to. I'm like, yeah, let's go there. I think there's something there, but I also see a lot of, if you're willing to go through these next few weeks with us, is, is there's so much freedom to be had when you don't have to hide. There is, there is so much uh, empowerment and blessing and peace when you don't have to live in lies and cover up and mask and different things like that. So I don't mind going into some of these areas uh, because I do want you to be free. I do want you to have, have purpose where you don't have to, to hide and shame and guilt uh, anymore. And so we're going to look at some tough things, but with a purpose of, of finding God's, God's blessing and God's favor and God's direction in these things. I want to read, I read earlier out of Matthew chapter 5, um, and I want to read that same passage out of the message paraphrase. There's this paraphrase of, of the entire Bible called the message. And sometimes it just captures these ideas and these thoughts really well. And I want to read that same passage of Scripture where Jesus is preaching on the Sermon on the Mount. And he's telling them to be the salt, to be the light. And it says it like this. He says, here's another way to put it. You are here to be light, bringing out the God colors in the world. God is not a secret to be kept. We're going public with this, as public as a city on a hill. If I were to make you light bearers, you don't think I'm going to hide you under a bucket, do you? I'm putting you on a light stand. Now that I've put you on a, there on a hilltop, on a light stand, shine. Shine. And then here it is. Keep open house. I love that. Keep open house. Be generous with your lives. By opening up to others, you'll prompt people to open up with God, this generous Father in heaven. I love that phrase. By opening up to others, or by opening up and keeping open house, you'll prompt others to be open with God. As there's, there's kind of this idea we're going to deal with some areas in our lives where we want to be open house. And God's going to work on us, and chains are going to break, and we're going to be free. But by opening up, I believe it's not just about me. It's not just about you. There are others who will open up to God because we have not approached him with a closed fist or locking up doors and saying, nope, anywhere but that place, anywhere but that room. No, God, you have open house here. And so today, I, I want to talk about this word called generosity. 
because it says it in the passage a couple times. Be generous. Live generous with this generous Father in heaven. This is who God is. Last week, we talked about community. We talked about relationships. And, and why do we value community and relationships at Freedom Church so much? Or just as a follower of Christ, why do we value community and relationships and we go after that? Why? Because we see that's who God is. When you are in community with others, when you open up with others, when you are doing life together with others, yes, it's hard. Yes, it's messy. But at the same time, that's God is God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, three in one in perfect community. It is a picture, a representation of who God is. But generosity, this is how, this is how God lives his life. You have a generous father. This is how he behaves. If I'm, if I'm going to be a Christ follower, how should I behave? One of the top ones has got to be living generously. So I'm going to go to that area today where I'm going to talk about money. I'm going to talk about finances. I'm going to talk about a room in your house that is usually off limits, that has a safe that is locked up, and it's a tough one. And it's going to get a little bit tense, but I want to explain why this is important. Because so often we get hung up on church and money and we think about the what. I want to go beyond just a transaction. It's not just a transaction and, oh, there's a little giving thing right back over there and you put a check in there and it's like, well, transaction. Or I go online and I text give and I fill out the form and, oh, transaction. That's a what. I want to explain the why behind this. And I got to do a, a few little uh, caveats on this too, because just know my heart. <laughs> I, the church does not need your money. God does not need your money. All right? When you get to the heart, when we're talking about money, God wants your heart. He knows what money and possessions can do to your heart, and that's what he's jealous about. These things can take that top place, and so he doesn't need cash. He doesn't need money. He wants your heart, and so he's trying to work on your heart whenever he's doing these things. There's a, a term in the, uh, in the space world called MECO, M-E-C-O, which stands for Main Engine Cutoff. And when a space shuttle launches into outer space, the rockets and the boosters uh, you know, get this thing off the ground. It's fighting gravity, trying to to push this thing up into outer space where it can get into orbit and do its mission. And Miko is a command that they will, will give out, and it typically happens at around the eight-and-a-half-minute mark, about 56 miles up from the Earth. And at Miko, they will call this in the, the, the rockets, the boosters, that got it off the ground, they have pretty much done their job. And so at Miko, those main engine cut, the main engine cutoff, those boosters will, will detach and fall back down into the ocean. Um, at that point, that space shuttle has defeated gravity, and it can get now into position where it can go above and beyond into outer space and it can start getting into Earth's orbit and doing what its mission and, and, and ability to do. 
I, I, as, I, as I learn about this, I kind of think about just when it comes to generosity. And there's so much tension. You feel it, some of you right now, when we talk about finances, the stress and the tension that, it comes, uh, that comes along with that. And so we tend to hold tightly to those things. But when we release whatever is in our hand, be it money, be it our time, be it our talents and gifts or just the bondage and the habits and the things that we're dealing with. When we open up and we, when we give those things over to God, in a sense, defy anything that's trying to weigh us down from doing that, we put it into God's hand and it is like going into the above and beyond to where it goes into the, the, the realm of eternity, to where God says, ha, 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 ha. We've gone from earth and this person just holding on to this thing so tightly to where God says, now I can do this as I, as I want to, as I've planned to. It has mission and purpose beyond anything that you and I can imagine. The first big why when it comes to finances and money is recognizing where did it all come from in the first place? So often... <clears throat> We don't have to fight with the idea of the word mine. Anyone that has kids does not know. You do, you, do not have to, you do not have to teach your kids that word, mine. Mine, mine, mine. And if you have siblings, you certainly know. You do not have to teach them, as, as I got two brothers in the house, and sharing. You, you, you have to teach them sharing. You do not have to teach them how to say mine. Nope, don't touch my stuff. And then we got a big brawl going on in the living room over whose is whose. This past week, I got, um, it was kind of like Monopoly. I got this letter in the mail from my, from my mortgage company, from the bank. And I'm like, ooh, this kind of looks different. At first, I kind of think, well, maybe it's a bill, but it kind of looks like a check. And it was one of those where the property taxes came in and you overpaid for property taxes. So here's a check. You know what my first thought was? It wasn't, oh, well, what, what does God want to do with this? It was kind of along the same sentiment. Mine, mine, what are we going to do with this? I got this nice little check. I was not expecting it. Mine. It's, it's, kids, kids, we can laugh at kids all day long, but grownups, we're, we are... We are the exact same. As soon as we get an extra little raise, an extra little something, our default mode for most of us, if we're being honest, to say, what can I do with this? Versus potentially just, God, what do you want to do with this? I've been blessed with this. Where does it all come from? It all comes from God. Now, you put in some hard work and effort. I'm not saying you did it. You have gone to school and school for some of you guys and school even some more, and then you have worked hard. And now it has been given, it, it's, it's, here it is. At the same time, i got to recognize beyond the finances, I had no control over where I was born, my parents, my DNA, the brain that God gave me, the idea that he gave me, like everything around me that has influenced me and shaped me, God has brought all that in. So it goes beyond the finance. Say, where did it all come from? I am recognizing when I give, when I release financially to God, uh, one of the things that is coming is this awe in reverence, in worship, that is acknowledging, I didn't do this. This is not just, if you're, if you're from the, the church world, you know the word tithe, which means 10%. 
So sometimes I might say that just subconsciously today. Oh, I give the tithe or I give 10% or whatever. God's in, it, 100% of it is God's. Which is scary. When, when you open house to God and say, yours instead of mine, that's scary. I'm right there with you. All right? I don't like that thought either, but that's the reality. When I, when I open up financially, I am open up with worship and all saying, hey, this, is, this all starts from you. Second thing, when I give or the why that I give, it's coming out of a transformed heart. I'm not coming at it from a, from a transactional space. We noticed that those first believers, talking about the ownership, the first why, I missed this part, but I want to go back to it because I think it's important. It said what they owned was not their own. That's how they felt about their, their finances. It says that in, in, in Acts chapter 4, verse 32, they felt that what they owned was not their own. Wow. What I own is not my own. So they shared what they had. That comes out of a transformed heart. Jesus knows what money and possessions can do to our heart. And he knows that our natural tendency is to go mine. And the output was transformed lives. When they released this over to God, they felt like what they owned was not their own, and they started to open up and share what you saw was something that got people's attention. What you saw was a community that was transformed. What you saw were people meeting Jesus and lives being changed, which make no mistake, this is what we are about at Freedom Church. I want people to meet Jesus. Because when people meet Jesus, like when they really meet Jesus, they don't stay the same. He changes their heart. Lives are transformed. People get saved and, and start living on mission. This group changed the world. This group got it. They figured out this piece on generosity, and they lived it out, and it said God's favor was on them. One of the guys that was one of the apostles, one of the leaders, was named John. John wrote the book of John, and then he wrote three letters, 1 John, 2 John, and 3 John. And he was one of the guys that was with Jesus. He saw Jesus, was, was one of the 12. And he writes it like this. He was an eyewitness to all these things, and then he's writing later in life. This comes out of 1 John chapter 3. He says, This message you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. This, this idea of love, that he, he, he would say in the next chapter that God, God is love. This is who God is. He is love. This is kind of a uniquely Christian idea. When you think, when you think about God and you're like, well, if God is a loving God, then why? That, that first start, that God is a loving God, where did you get that from? You got that from Jesus. You got that from, from Christianity. The gods of this time were not loving. 
The gods of this time, you had to do things in order to earn their favor. You had to work for it, and if things were bad, you had to go and do more stuff to earn the... The gods were demanding, not loving. And here you have God, Jesus comes on the scene, and he lives this out, saying God, God loves, for God so loved the world. It starts with a loving, generous God, which was radical in that time frame. And so if you've stepped away from Christianity because you're like, man, what I know about Christianity ain't so loving, I want to introduce you to Jesus. Meet Jesus. John met Jesus. He saw it. He was with him. So he starts to talk about this love. What does that look like? What does this Jesus look like? So he says in verse 16, We know what real love is because Jesus gave up his life for us. Love is something happened. I was there. I saw it, guys. Jesus, real love, he sacrificed. It was an actionable event. So he says, so we ought to give up our lives for our brothers and sisters. In light of what Jesus did, not we shouldn't just believe, but love is a verb. You ought go and do. It should be lived out. Okay, I got to give up my life for my brothers and sisters, people I don't even know. Like, Mike, okay. Okay, what is love short of dying? I don't want to die today. All right, Jesus gave up his, I don't want to die today. Short of dying, what does love look like? It's a great question, but you might not want to know the answer if you want your ears tickled. Because he gives you, John gives you a real practical example. Very next verse. So, if someone has enough money to live well, time out, that's us. All right, if you have a house for your car, called a garage, all right, if you've ever paid over $5 for a cup of coffee, all right? If you've ever gone into your closet and you're like, I got all these clothes but nothing to wear, all right? Uh, listen, seven billion people on the planet, comparatively, you and I are in that top 2% worldwide, okay? So make no mistakes about it. I don't know your situation, not really any of my business, but if you have enough money to live well, let me, let me ask, is it wrong for Christians to have money? No. I agree. All right? He's not condemning wealth. You see plenty of people in the scriptures even that have wealth. What we're getting at is the heart. How do you handle the resources that God has given you? Okay? This is very important. It's not wrong to have wealth. It's not wrong to have nice things. Not saying that at all. But how do we handle these things? He says, if anyone has enough money to live well and sees a brother or sister in need but shows no compassion, how can God's love be in that person? It's interesting in the King James Version, which I, I, I read rarely, but sometimes it says that where that phrase says no compassion, if someone is, sees someone in need but shows no compassion, 
In the King James, it says, if, if, if someone sees someone in need, but shutteth, shutteth up their bowels of compassion. Which kind of gets more literal to what John is trying to s- describe here. If someone sees someone in need, and you are financially constipated, John's saying you're full of something, but you are not full of the love of God. He gets real graphic there. He's trying to help you understand how do you how does God want you to live your life? Be generous. But understand, it's hard. Here's the generosity trap. Last week I shared some traps relationally that we deal with. The trap of generosity for you and I is that greed loves to hide as a virtue. Most of us would not describe ourselves as a greedy person. I get that. Oftentimes, we will mask it as a virtue. Mike, I'm, I'm not greedy. I'm, a, I'm careful with my money. I mean, there's a recession kind of coming on right now. We don't know. A lot of uncertainty. I'm careful. I'm a planner. I'm, I, I, I like to plan, plan things out. Nothing wrong with planning. I'm a saver. I'm being a, trying to be a good steward. I want to I be able to provide for my kids. Greed will mask itself as a virtue. And we all have, have, have those things in our lives when it comes to this idea of giving, when it comes to this idea of being open-handed with God. God, it's all yours. What do you want to do with it? And we will put in our own thing. Well, I got debt right now. I'm racked up with a lot of debt. And maybe that's the truth. I've got this, I got this expense, I've got this bill, this unexpected bill, I've got all these things. When I, when, I, when I read across the scriptures, all right, God wants you to be wise with your money, believe me. There's a book of Proverbs all about wisdom, all right? Don't live foolishly. But I, I, have, to, I have to keep that in mind with what, is God, what does God want me to do with this? Otherwise, Jesus told this story about a guy who had all this money, and he had these barns. And he's like, oh, well, what do I do with these? I've got so much. I've got so Well, I'll just build bigger barns. And so he just built more stuff, bigger barns. And you would think, well, that's not a bad idea. He can, he can say, and God's like, no, you've missed the entire point. Your life is going to be taken today. I've had, I've been in ministry for 15 plus years, I will do this. I've had other people say certain things to me that are along similar lines of, Mike, like, I don't have the money now. The money's coming. The money will come later. One day when or if I ever had enough money, I would love to give. I would love to be generous. I have yet to say this, but there's times in my life when it's like, well, if I had a million dollars, then one day I would, whatever. What if you had $100 today, would you? What if you had $10 today, would you? I find so many times it's easy to project on what I would do and my intentions, as great as they are, versus the hard reality of dealing with what I have in my hand right now, and that's a different story. When I worked with teenagers, 
when I work with teenagers and I'm trying to talk about this concept of money and how, how God, God owns it all. And I can feel the tension in the room today. I, I was like, all right, we'll just deal with it. Teenagers, they get that first paycheck. They get that first job. They get that first paycheck. And, like, and we're kind of talking about this. And they get that paycheck. It's like 50 bucks or something. And we say, well, how about, you know, what, what are your thoughts on giving any of that to God? And you, you sense the hesitation. You sense the tension. But I'm also like, if your paycheck is $50 and you're struggling to give a dollar or two or five or whatever God lays on your heart, when you get the grown-up pants on and you get the big-time check, don't, if you can't do it when it's a small amount, don't think you're going to be able to do it when you're like, that's a vacation right there. That's a car payment right there. I mean, it starts to rack up on what it could or could not be. And I'm trying to just worship God with everything, every room in my house, including my finances. Keep open house so others can open up to God. There's a story of a guy named Zacchaeus, a rich tax collector that meets Jesus and his life changes. Zacchaeus stood before the Lord and said, I will give half my wealth to the poor, Lord, and if I've cheated people on their taxes, I will give them back four times as much. And Jesus responded, salvation has come to this home today, for this man has shown himself to be a true son of Abraham. For the son of man, Jesus, his own nickname for himself, came to seek and save those who are lost. When Zacchaeus met Jesus... His stuff and his possessions weren't as important anymore. His life had changed. John says, dear children, let's not merely say that we love each other. Let's don't just do songs and sermons. Like, I love songs and sermons and I'm going to worship, but he's like, life's more than that. Let's don't just say it. Let us show the truth by our actions. Our actions will show that we belong to the truth so that we will be confident when we stand before God. For John, who's writing this, he's like, guys, this whole thing about Jesus, this whole good news and the gospel that Jesus died on the cross for our sins, he was God in the flesh, he rose from the dead. He's coming back. Salvation is found in no other name but Jesus. This thing is not something I heard. I lived it. I saw it. I witnessed him die on the cross. I saw the gore. I smelled the stench. This isn't just something. It was real. And this is it. And this is how we are going to live and model our lives. I'm not just going to say it. I'm going to show it. I'm going to live it. Why? Because that's how Jesus did it. And that's, how, how, that's, how, that's who God is. And that's how we are going to live. God is love. What does love look like? Being generous. Not holding so tightly to everything. Open house. Open house. Seeing things launch into the above and beyond. Into the eternal realm. Not trying to keep everything here under gravity here on earth. When you open up to God, you just say, hey, it's all yours, whatever it is. My time, my money, my gifts, my resources, my words, they're yours. This, this is the gospel. 
This is the good news of God. John, who also wrote one of the the most beautiful conversations that we have recorded in history. John chapter 3, Jesus and Nicodemus. Nicodemus is asking questions, and then Jesus gives us verse uh, 16, John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave. That's who God is. You cannot separate the gospel in giving because that's who God is. That's what love is. He gave up his life for us. And so I'll close with these, this verse. This is separate uh, from where we've been, but this is Paul writing to Timothy, a young pastor. Paul writes, teach those who are rich in this world. Again, that's us. Teach those who are rich in this world not to be proud and not to trust in their money, which is so unreliable. Their trust should be in God, who richly gives us all we need for our enjoyment. Tell them to use their money to do good. They should be rich. God wants you to be rich, by the way. Be rich, but in what? In good works and generous to those in need. Always, always be ready to share with others. By doing this, they will be storing up their treasure as a good foundation for the future so that they may have experienced true life. I love that it gives us an example of Barnabas, some sort of radical giving. Someone just sold their land, gave it to the church so the church could do ministry. Crazy, crazy. I'm not suggesting that you do that, by the way. I'm not suggesting that you just say, oh, well, all my money, just give it all to the church. I, it, what, I, what, am I, what am I suggesting? Are you open to God today, to generosity? I'm not trying to tell you what to do. I'm not trying to guilt you into anything. Guilt is a horrible, horrible motivator. All right? So if that's where you're at today, I'm sorry if I've projected that because that's not my goal. I just say, I'm trying to do open house, and I'm talking about finances. And are you open to just saying, God, what do you want me to do with my finances? 100% of them. And you tell me, and I'll do my best to follow that. And, it, and whatever he tells you, I just say, do that. Very rarely, I'd never met a person in my life where God said, hey, give it all up and, and do it. But you see some examples of that happening. I think he's probably not going to tell you that, so that's not what I'm suggesting. I'm just saying do whatever he tells you to do. Barnabas unleashed vision, and they started changing lives. And at the end of the day, do you want more stories or do you want more stuff? I know my natural answer to that. I know your church answer is more stories. My natural answer is stuff. Mine, I want more stuff. It'd be fun, and stuff is fun. But at the end of the day, when you and I reach heaven, when we reach the above and beyond, when we, when we reach eternity, that stuff ain't going with us. Some of the best funerals that I have been to, you see the people and the lives that they touched. I've, I've yet really to go to a funeral where they brought all the stuff in and said, look at all this stuff that they had. That stuff ain't going with you. It is a matter of perspective to see what, what really matters in its people. And you see examples in Scripture 
of people seeing that and living it out and lives being changed. And you see examples of people seeing that, hearing that, and saying, "Uh uh-uh, because they had many possessions. They had many things, and it's a heavy weight, and I realize that. These first century Christians didn't just say it, they showed it. They lived generously. They gave dignity to everyone. They, they were characterized by their love. They were recognized that. And that's what got people's attention. You had a world of people around them that were persecuting them, that wanted this church to be shut down. I don't want anything to do with Jesus. Don't speak the name of Jesus anymore. Stop it. No more. What's done? We'll try to persecute them, harm them, put them in jail. Everything we can to do to stop it. What were they known for that church? It wasn't their theology, although they had great theology. What was it that captured the attention of the people around them? How they lived their life. They were generous to everyone. No one had a need, and that caught people's attention. I love theology all day long, but I'm telling you, what's going to capture the attention of your coworkers? What's going to capture the attention of the people around you? What's going to capture the attention of the skeptical, agnostic, or atheistic scientist that wants nothing to do with church, that wants nothing to do with God? What is it that's going to capture the attention? Probably not a debate on theology but it is how you and I live our lives around them and love Los Alamos, no strings attached. That's what got their attention. God does his thing. When I kept open house, they opened up to God and we get to celebrate what God is doing in the lives around us. Thank you again for taking the time to listen to the podcast this week. I hope you felt inspired to take your next step of faith with Jesus. Just a couple next steps that you can take coming out of this. One, rate and review the podcast. That really does get the message out to other people faster, as well as click subscribe to make sure you get the latest content as it rolls out each week. And finally, if you want to partner with us financially, head on over to our website, click the word give. That's going to get the message out through our ministries further and faster. Have a wonderful week. God bless.